And up front, then, we need to figure out what is ritual. Well, I'm defining it simply as a repeated practice with a religious dimension. It's a repeated practice with a religious dimension. And when understood that way, well, we'll talk about that in a moment. Let's read the chapter once more. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Sanctify to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and animal. It is mine. And Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. For by strength of hand the Lord brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. On this day you are going out in the month Abib, and it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and no leavened bread shall be seen among you, nor shall leaven be seen among you in all your quarters. You shall tell your son in that day, saying, This is because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. It shall be a sign to you on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the Lord's law may be in your mouth, for with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this ordinance in its season from year to year. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers and gives it to you, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that opens the womb, that is, every firstling that comes from an animal which you have. The males shall be the Lord's. But every firstling of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, and if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And all the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. So it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is this that you shall say to him? By strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And it came to pass, when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animal. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all males that open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a sign on your hand and as frontlets between your eyes. For by strength of hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Let's pray. Father, please help us to understand your word and to live in light of it. Help us, Father, to seek the position that is true, not one that's balanced according to the world's standards or one that makes sense to us per se, and that's the reason we adopt it, but rather, Father, help us to seek what your word says and to believe it and to practice it. We thank you for the opportunity to come into your presence and hear from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you ask anybody in one of our churches, or yeah, I think it's safe to say anybody. What is ritual? You will hear it is a Catholic thing. Ritual is something Roman Catholics do. And depending on who you ask, that might be the sum total of the answer you could get. Maybe in a particularly savvy individual, you might hear ritual is something Roman Catholics and our Jewish friends participate in. 
But if you understand ritual not as a synonym for unbiblical, ungodly, and definitely wrong, if you understand it instead as a description of any repeated practice with a religious dimension, then you have to ask, what is the relationship between the Levitical system, the ritual sanctification described here in Exodus 13 and in many other places in the Pentateuch? What's the relationship between that and our practices today? That is, what good is ritual? Our forefathers fought and died in many cases to liberate us from a church that said ritual is it. It's the safest, surest, and possibly the only way to salvation. Repeated religious practices. But at the same time, if we throw that out, really, to its fullest extent, then we have no faith left. We certainly have no church left. So the question is not, is this a ritual? The question should rather be, why are we doing this ritual? And how then are we doing this ritual? Not, do we repeat this practice regularly, but why do we repeat this practice? God commands certain rituals, and therefore, we need to participate in them and do so as he commands. We see up front, as we saw last time, God spoke to Moses saying, Sanctify to me all the firstborn. Ritual is part of sanctification. What Moses describes in this text, what God describes in this text, is setting apart humans and animals as holy. Changing your status so that you fit in God's house. So that you exist for God. Repeated religious practice, then, is a part of sanctification. At least it was in the Levitical system. If we zoom out for a moment, we quickly realize that most of life is a set of rituals. You get up in roughly the same way every morning. You have certain things you do in order to get yourself ready to go about the business of the day. As you go about the business of the day, you do things roughly the same way Every day. You can, if you don't go anywhere for a while, or if you don't go anywhere outside your routine, you start to think, wow, it's really easy to drive. I just get in the car and I just kind of drift along right to the place where I'm going because I always go to the same place. And I don't even have to think twice about it. It's only when you're in an unfamiliar city in heavy traffic in the rain at night trying to find a place that you say... This is a lot harder than I thought. Life is rituals. You become, go out, do your task for the day, you come home, get ready for bed the same way every night, and then you get up and do it all over again. And so, it's a category mistake to ask, was I sincere when I brushed my teeth last night? Did I do that right? Well, either you did it or you didn't. Asking about the motivation behind brushing your teeth would seem to be 
something of a fool's errand. And of course, it's easy then to take this one step further and say, the same is true of our religious practice. And in fact, all world religions do take that step. And say, at the end of the day, in an important sense, the question is not why you did it, what your motive was, how sincere you were. It boils down to, did you do it or not? Did you get out of bed this morning and put your pants on and come to church? Or did you not? And if you did, you did everything that you needed to do. The Bible, and especially, of course, the New Testament, but the whole Bible pushes back against that and says, no, that's the wrong way of thinking about it. Think about it this way. Did you care about long-term dental health when you brushed your teeth? Was that the goal? Or were you simply doing it because that's what you do? Or maybe doing it to appease somebody else? My mom will complain if I don't brush my teeth. My spouse will complain if I don't brush my teeth. Therefore, I got to do it. And I think this opens up the line of reasoning that helps us understand that the real question is, when you repeat a religious practice, why are you repeating it? What's the goal? The question is not so much, do I do this repeatedly, as why do I do it repeatedly? And the question of motive actually is of fundamental importance. I think that's what Paul is talking about, if we could push him a little bit on the weak and beggarly elements of the world, don't touch, don't taste, don't handle, versus his other insistence that if you engage in the taboo system, you're spiritually dead, or maybe you're not. Circumcision may not count for anything. Uncircumcision may not count for anything. What matters is keeping the commandments of God. And one of the commandments, some of the commandments, are to repeat religious practices regularly in your life. To come together in worship, to partake of the Lord's Supper, to baptize your children. These things are rituals or repeated practices commanded by God. So when ritual becomes a practice done for its own sake, or to keep the priest off your back, then it has ceased to be biblical. But when ritual becomes something designed and demanded by God, when you're doing something because it's his idea, because he tells you to do it, because you want to be closer to him and walk in the holiness that exists for him, that's when ritual brings about sanctification. As we can see, certainly, in these two rituals, baby dedications, Feast of Unleavened Bread, it's designed and demanded by God. This is not, and Moses said, okay, we're out of Egypt, let's figure out a way to commemorate this. Let's build traditions as a nation together. He didn't say that. God said, here's what you'll do, Moses. You will sanctify to me the firstborn. You will keep this Feast of Unleavened Bread. God set up this repeated practice so Israel could enact the reality of belonging to God and existing for God. Every time 
one of their female animals gave birth to its first colt or calf or lamb. Every time there they had a firstborn son in the community. So God has commanded us, similarly, one of the new covenant rituals, well, to take a day off from work each week, to baptize each new Christian, to eat the Lord's Supper. Clearly, practices that need to be repeated that God himself has designed and demanded that we participate in. One thing that's emphasized throughout Exodus 13 is that these rituals are never divorced from the word of God. We talked about this last time, but we'll talk about it some more. Verse 8, you shall tell your son in that day, saying, this is because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. When you participate in a ritual, in other words, the ultimate test is, can this only be explained in terms of God's command? That is, any repeated practice that you're claiming some kind of spiritual power for has to be rooted in the Word of God. Right? You're all familiar with the fact that I come back and sit on the chair here for 30 seconds or so before morning worship. And it's easy to run that practice five or six hundred years into the future and have a church where that's the only way to honor God. And woe be to the preacher who comes in and doesn't sit in the chair for 30 seconds before starting the service. What's important is the chair. Well, unfortunately, that practice is totally explicable without any reference to the Word of God. We don't claim that sitting in the chair for 30 seconds before worship begins is the way to do it, and that this is how God makes us holy. Well, that's not something God commanded. Rituals divorced from the Word of God that are claimed to be spiritually beneficial become exactly what Paul describes. Touch not, taste not, handle not, that has nothing to do with any kind of spiritual growth or benefit. And typically, all too quickly becomes simply an excuse to exclude the kind of people we don't like. Well, those people either look wrong think wrong, act wrong, are involved in a dirty trade or something else, have the wrong ancestry, and therefore push them out. So in the culture Paul grew up in, of course, it was, they're not Jewish, so we don't go to their homes. We don't associate with them. We do our best to avoid being contaminated by the gross people among whom we live. In the culture some of us grew up in, it was, oh, those people are involved in brewing or selling alcohol. Therefore, we don't have anything to do with them. They are taboo. They're off limits. They are polluting and polluted. And so it goes. We could multiply examples from every region of the world, any time in history, this same principle that recurs in world religions 
that has nothing to do with the word of God. God designs and demands any ritual that would have any kind of spiritual benefit. It shall be assigned to you, verse 9, on your hand as a memorial between your eyes that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. And that's the test. Does this require me to speak of the law of God? If I claim that all civilized people, all good people, brush their teeth before bed, that claim doesn't require me to have recourse to the word of God. Far from it. Or if I claim that all civilized people dress like I do, right? shirt and tie, otherwise you're not as holy as me. Again, where, where does the word of God say anything along those lines? Ritual is not something, in other words, a genuine ritual that has real spiritual effect isn't something a human being can cook up. If I say, when you come into the church, you need to bow toward the east three times and then make the sign of the cross on yourself. Well, sure, you can do that. But again, such a ritual is totally explicable without reference to the word of God. You don't do that so that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. Far from it. Easily, in fact, can and has become an excuse to keep the Lord's law out of your mouth. If I just make a reference to Jesus, then I'm safe from whatever bad thing might be crossing my path. So, anything can be a perfectly legitimate practice in itself, but once you're told, this makes you holy, you not only can demand, you must demand warrant from the Word of God. Say, where does God say that repeating that practice makes me holy? Because it's right here, in black and white, about the baby dedications, the firstborn dedications, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. These things make you holy under the Levitical system. Holiness fundamentally can only be signified by doing what God wants, not what some priest wants. And this, again, cuts across religions, cuts across denominations, even one sense cuts across families. It's all too easy to say, wow, well, I just really respect my pastor. And he, you know, he can't stand, name it, the NFL, motorcycles, whatever. And therefore, that must be a mark of holiness. Holy people avoid X thing. Not, that's not true. That's divorcing ritual from the Word of God. So baptism is something that requires us to speak the Word of God in order for the practice to make any sense. Partaking of the Lord's Supper is something that requires us to speak the, Lord of God, the Word of God in order for it to make any sense. Preventing the Lord's Day from becoming Caleb's Day is something that requires me 
to speak the word of God for the practice to make any sense. Celebrating the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the Levitical era requires the speaking of God's word. And I dare say, I believe this is true, going through the order of worship that we have in this church requires us to speak the word of God. We're going to read the Bible now. Now we're going to talk about the Bible. Now we're going to pray to the God who gave us the Bible. Now we're going to sing about what's in the Bible or sing a psalm that is directly from the Bible. It's a ritual. Of course it is. Marilee brought me a bulletin from August 1st yesterday and was ready to put it on the stack. Why? Well, it looks exactly like the bulletin for October 3rd. A few different words. If you can't read well, you wouldn't even know the difference. It's ritual to go through the same order of service each week. But it is a ritual commanded by God. You must sing. You must pray. You must read the word. You must talk about the word. You must eat the Lord's Supper. And therefore, we get together and do all of those things. Well, furthermore, every biblical ritual is rooted either in history or in nature. Now, these two in Exodus 13 are rooted in history, in the Exodus from Egypt. This is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. Verse 9. Verse 14. By strength of hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all males that open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. These are rooted in history. The Lord's day is rooted in history. God created for six days, and on the seventh he rested and was refreshed. The Sabbath was made for Man, why did God rest on the seventh day? Not for himself, but for us. And therefore, we have, again, history, or you could call it nature, the seventh day week, is so deeply historical that it has become natural, almost. Certainly, we could call months and years natural divisions of time that are based on nature and the motions of the heavenly bodies. Now, Paul says, I'm worried about you. You observe days, months, seasons, and years. Galatians, the fact that you are keeping certain times tells me that you don't get it, that you fundamentally misunderstood my teaching, that you regard certain times as taboo, (coughs) off-limits, inauspicious, something The same principle of touch not, taste not, handle not has been applied to time. So what does Paul mean when he says that? That all times are exactly the same? That the Lord's day is not the Lord's day? Or rather it's just the same as all the other days? I don't think so. He's saying you've made up certain days, certain seasons, certain months, certain years, And you think that observing those things makes you holy. You believe that your homemade religion or your homemade religiosity of certain off-limits times 
is helping you follow God better. And that's absurd. You need to drop that idea. Paul is not saying that it is impossible that any time could be a holy time. He's saying that any homemade time is not a holy time. And any leftover Levitical thing, and so of course he turns, puts circumcision right in the crosshairs and fires a whole bunch of rounds into it because he can't stand this one. Circumcision is the granddaddy of them all. If you take circumcision down, the rest go. Anything you've imported from the Levitical system and said, oh look, there's a ritual commanded by God. That will make me holy. Paul says, no, you don't get it. If you think that you can just open the pages of the Torah and find, oh look, Feast of Trumpets. Well, me and my family are going to start doing this. This will make us better Christians. Oh look, circumcision. Me and my family are going to start doing this. This will make us more like Jesus, who was circumcised on the eighth day. Paul says, no. That era is gone. You don't have to break the neck of all your donkey cults anymore. That was a sign of holiness in that era. That is no longer a sign of holiness today. So, of course, within the church, there's great debate over the status of the Lord's Day, what the New Testament means when it refers to the Lord's Day. Is this a Levitical ordinance only that is gone? I don't think so. Anyway, we can talk about that later. The point overall that Paul is making is just because it's in the Old Testament commanded by God to make people holy then doesn't mean you can drag it wholesale into the New Covenant era. And most people get this with a number of the practices, especially animal sacrifices. I've never met anyone who secretly slaughters bulls and burns them on the altar in order to deal with his sin. We understand Jesus completely put paid to that ritual. But Paul says it's true of all the rituals back here in this first two-thirds of the Bible. They all are rooted in history, and some of them are relegated to history. Ritual is a sign and a seal, we can say. Moses uses the word sign. In verse 9, it shall be as a sign to you on your hand. Verse 16, it shall be a sign on your hand. A sign that points you beyond itself. What is a ritual? It's a repeated practice with a religious dimension that specifically signifies some greater truth. In this case, these two rituals, it's a sign of being brought out of Egypt. Because I came out of Egypt, I do this. Paul tells us not only that ritual is a sign and that it sanctifies, he tells us how. Ritual sanctifies by sealing. Now, Typically, it's easier for us to understand sealing as a mark that's physically present in or on the object sealed. I open the lid and underneath is that little glued down thing that says sealed for your protection. But a seal 
doesn't necessarily change anything in or on the one sealed. A seal ultimately is simply a mark of ownership, and that can be strictly in the cognitive realm. If I purchase a book, the book is now mine. I can write property of Caleb Nelson in indelible ink inside the flyleaf, but that doesn't make the book my property. The book is already mine. So it is with the rituals that God has commanded. They are seals that seal us as God's property, not necessarily by putting a mark on the soul or by changing anything within us. Rather, they simply say, loud and clear, ownership has changed. This one belongs to God. And so, in one sense, whether God tattoos on your forehead property of Jesus Christ or not, you are. You are property of Jesus Christ. And that's why the New Testament speaks of us all the time as slaves of God. A slave of Jesus Christ. You didn't have to get marked with any kind of mark in Roman society. If you became a slave, you just your status had changed. You were now owned by someone else. So it is with these rituals. When you undergo a ritual commanded by God, when you participate in some repeated practice God has told you to do, you become holy. You show that you belong to God, but you don't just show that you belong to God, you actually, in some sense, belong to God more. You realize it more, you do it more every time you participate in the ritual that he's set before you. There's a cumulative impact. Right? It's not the case that a book I own that I've read ten times is more my book than a book that I bought and have never looked at again. But it is the case, in a certain sense, that one of them feels more like mine, comes to mind more readily as one of my books. You can do that, right? You're going through the shelf and you pull something off and say, what is this? Why is this here? I don't even recognize it. Don't be that Christian in the kingdom. Be the one whose holiness is manifest to you and to your Lord. So ritual is about memory. Moses says it over and over. God says it. Remember this day. Verse 3. It shall be a sign to you a memorial between your eyes. Verse 9. Verse 16. It shall be a sign on your hand as frontlets between your eyes. Ritual is for Christians with weak memory. Why do we do religious practices over and over again? Well, there could theoretically be somebody who says, I read the Bible once and I know what it says. I'm good. I went to church once and I worshiped God. Been there, done that. And now he's front and center in my life and he's the goal of everything I do. I don't need to do it again. I already worshiped him. Right, it's off my bucket list. Before I die, worship God, get baptized, and now I can move on to other things. 
Maybe there's somebody out there with a strong memory like that. But ritual is for Christians with weak memories. People who forget what God has done. People whose mind wanders off to something else and have to be carried back to remember, oh yeah, here's the point. This is why I'm on earth. This is what it's all about. Right? Shaking yourself about, doing the hokey pokey, that's not what it's all about. It's all about the glory of God in saving sinners and saving the world. That's why we come to church regularly and go through the same order of worship every week. Because that's a ritual God has commanded, telling us, this is how you become holy. This is how I make you more like Jesus. It's easy then to ascribe too much to ritual. Ritual is powerful. And therefore it's easily abused. And I think verse 16 is a great example of that. It shall be as a sign on your hand and as frontlets between your eyes, says Moses. It's a, there's a lot of discussion. What does the word frontlets mean? Is it a necklace? Is it this? Is it that? It seems to be saying something that's hung down from your forehead right in front of your eyes. So wherever you turn, it's right there, always right in front of you. Of course, by Jesus' day, his Jewish brothers and sisters had already started taking this literally and they would hang little strips with verses in front of their face so that it would always be there. And those became known as phylacteries, which Jesus mentions in Matthew 23, you make your phylacteries long. The word phylactery literally means something to guard or a good luck charm. That's what it could become. If we claim too much for ritual, that is simply repeating this practice automatically works. Doesn't matter what attitude I approach brushing my teeth with. Doesn't matter what I think about the water I drink and the vitamins I take. They keep my body going. Well, doesn't matter what I believe, as long as I go to church and play the part there that I'm supposed to play, everything is hunky-dory. That's all too easy for us to think. If we just externalize it all and salvation becomes a matter of showing up and doing the right thing, then, well, we are like the Pharisees with their long phylacteries. I'm going through the motions, and the motions are good motions, therefore, I'm right with God and I'm growing more holy. At the end of the day, it is about the heart. Remembering, doing, caring, loving, and that's where Paul takes it. Are you circumcised? Are you uncircumcised? I really don't care. Neither one is of spiritual benefit. The spiritual benefit is serving one another by love. Something that can only come from a heart that's engaged. Now that too, right, has been abused and that's become a ritual. Well, we don't believe anything here. We just serve one another in love. 
Well, why do you do it? Well, because that's the thing to do. Right? It, that's a ritual. But ritual is powerful. Ritual is good when it's something God said to repeat. We repeat it. When it's a practice that he says, do this practice regularly. He doesn't mean do it and everything will be fine no matter how you do it. He means do it because you love me and show that love, think about that love as you do it. <coughs> Let's pray. <coughs> Father, we ask that you would help us not to abuse ritual. Help us to know that we belong to you and therefore to use every repeated religious practice for your glory. We pray, Father, that you would keep us from saying, I should never repeat a religious practice as though ritual is in itself damaging. And keep us from the ditch on the other side that says, as long as I repeat religious practices, nothing can go wrong. Keep our hearts engaged, Father. Help us to walk in memory, remembering what you've done in saving us. We thank you for the Levitical system. We thank you more for the new covenant administration under which we live. Help us to grow in holiness, to be yours, and therefore to live as yours. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>